God is good. And all the time? Uh, well, it's always good Sabbath when you have baptisms and baby dedications and everything else going on. And uh, it's always good to be together as the people of God. Um, I, uh, I hope you ate a good breakfast, amen? Yeah? Good, because I swung by the high school group. And they had pancakes and veggie sausages and all kinds of things. And so I'm good to go. So I hope you're okay. <laughs> uh, well, we want to continue our series on prayer today. Um, part six out of an eight-part series. And uh, I'm just going to get right into it today because I'm going to move it along. And uh, I don't want to, I really don't. I really don't want to trim it up much today. And some of you are like, shoot, right? <laughs> and some of you are like, okay, all right. But I really don't want to trim it up because today's topic on prayer, aspect of prayer, is, is something that I don't want to um, cover lightly. I, I want to really hope this sinks in for all of us at a deeper level. And uh, Keller talks today about a conversation with God, and it's meditating on his word. And church, I believe wholeheartedly that meditating on the Word of God is where the power is. It's where that life-transforming power happens in our inner life that impacts our outer life, if you will, our inner journey and our outer journey. And in this crazy, busy, fast-paced world where we are so distracted by so many things and, and there's so much on our plate, my fear is, is that this is one of those things we don't have time for much anymore. And yet this is where the power is. This is where the power is. This isn't where we spend time to try to, to get God to like us more. This is where we spend time with the Savior himself through the presence of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And the word works into our minds and our hearts. And that supernatural work of grace happens in our life. So is it okay with you if I don't cut it short today? Okay, all right. Psalm chapter 1. The psalmist says, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his light law they meditate day and night. They're like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. And all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This beautiful image of a tree, the very first psalm, talks about this tree planted by the waters that, whose leaves never fall and yet bears its fruit in its seasons. This image of this tree, of these people whose delight is the law of the Lord. When we say the law of the Lord, we don't mean just the Ten Commandments. We mean the law, the whole word of God. For us Christians, that means Genesis through Revelation. So this person and these people are like trees planted by streams of water because their roots are going deep into their experience with God. And how do they do it? The psalmist says, by meditating on the law day and night. Their roots are going deep down into the ground, getting the water, which is the word of God, and taking it deep into their lives, into their inner being. 
Keller says that there are certain blessings or certain promises that come with meditating on the Bible. He says the first is stability, the image of the tree, this tree that that bears fruits in its seasons and leaves do not wither, stability being strong, tapped into the Word of God. The second blessing or promise is that of substance and of character. When we go deep into the Word and we allow the Word to go deep into us, our character changes. There's those fruits. Remember the fruits of the Spirit that Paul wrote about in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I don't know about you, but I want more and more than that in my life. And that's the stuff that humanity is crying out for. More self-control, more gentleness, more faithfulness, more kindness, more peace, right? More love and joy and goodness. But that comes from God and His Word and meditating on it regularly. You see... Jesus, if you remember when he was on earth, he focused on the fact that what we do outwardly comes from what we're like inwardly. And so he put the emphasis on the inwardness and what happens there. That's why he also said the kingdom of God is where? Within you. God does not reside in buildings. He resides in people. And the kingdom of God is within you if we choose to let God live within us and to reign. And so he said it's the inner that impacts the outer. He said words like these. You remember some of these? You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Not the mere act, but what are, what's your heart? Where is your heart at? Or you might remember these words to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but in the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Or maybe these words that he said to them as well, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. God is concerned with our hearts and what's going on on the inside. The other promise of biblical meditation is it brings blessedness. Blessedness. Peace and well-being in all dimensions of life. It's that Hebrew word shalom. You know, it's that peace. It's not just peace, but whole person peace and well-being and joy and fulfillment. What exactly is meditation, biblical meditation? Let me just unpack that a little bit. We're going to actually put the meaning of the Hebrew word up there for you on the screen. It means literally this, to utter a sound, to moan, to meditate, to mutter. From the base meaning of uttering a sound of any kind, a figure of meditation, the act of thoughtful deliberation with the implication of speaking to oneself. All right, confession, how many of you speak to yourself out there? 
Yeah, come on. And those of you who aren't raising your hands are liars. We're just, we just know, okay? But we all speak to ourselves, and let's admit it. A lot of us speak to ourselves in very unkind ways, in ways that are not God speaking to us. We beat ourselves up. Wouldn't it be great to speak to ourselves from the Word of God? And that's what this is talking about. That person in Psalm chapter 1 is meditating on the law of God, the Word of God, day and night. They're taking the Word of God and speaking it to themselves, speaking it into their minds and into their hearts and into their whole being. And it gives God permission, it gives God space to be able to transform our minds and our hearts. And we begin to experience more and more the renewing of the mind, the renewing of the mind and a new heart. I'm not talking about Eastern meditation. We're not talking about emptying the mind of everything. We're talking about filling the mind with the things of God, with the person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and his words, focusing on Jesus, focusing on Christ, focusing on the kingdom and on his words. You see, biblical meditation does not empty the mind of rational thought. Christian meditation centers on the glory and the grace of God. And when we focus on the scriptures and the word and take those words into our mind, into our heart, we are focusing and centering on the glory and the grace of God, of God's works. Let me just read to you this quote from Keller. I'm not going to put it on the screen because it's, it's too long. But he says this, Meditation is spiritually tasting the scripture delighting in it, sensing the sweetness of the teaching, feeling the conviction of what it tells us about ourselves, and thanking God and praising God for what it shows us about Him. Meditation is also spiritually digesting the Scripture, applying it, thinking out how it affects you, describes you, guides you in the most practical way. It is drawing strength from the Scripture, letting it give you hope, using it to remember how loved you are. To shift metaphors, meditation is taking the truth down into the hearts until it catches fire there and begins to melt and shape our reactions to God, ourselves, and the world. Meditation, or again, as you know, I like to use that word, marinating in the word. Marinating my mind and my heart in scriptures and in the words is where that transforming power happens. It's where we continue to grow and be in that tree rooted and grounded, receiving its waters from the kingdom of God and from Jesus. Well, in these blessings, in these promises, Keller also suggests that there are three aspects to biblical meditation. And the first one is that it is engaging of the mind. The first aspect of biblical meditation is engaging the mind. And there are various ways to meditate on the word. And I I forgot to say this before I got going here, but... Uh, if, you're, if you're not used to taking notes, today may be a day you want to do some of that because we're going to put a lot on the screen. Um, there's all kinds of ideas and practical applications here today. But the first one is to read the text slowly answering four questions, Keller suggests. Those questions are, what does this teach me about God and his children or his character? What does it teach me about human nature and character and behavior? What does it teach me about Christ and his salvation, about the church or life in the people of God. The second is ask application questions. Look within the passage for any personal examples to emulate or avoid. 
for any commands to obey, for any promises to claim, and for any warnings to heed. Third, take one crucial verse and think through it by emphasizing each word. This is powerful. This is a powerful exercise. And so since this is only one verse, I want to just pull this out. Let's just pause here for a second and look at this. If we were to take Mark 1.17, which says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. If you were to take that one verse and just stop at each word and pause and contemplate and talk with God about that and think on that, for instance, and Jesus, just stop on the word Jesus and think about Jesus. Think about all that you know about Jesus. Think about who he has said he is and wants to be in your life and in my life and in this world's life. Think about how much he loves you, how much he loves your family, how much he loves the people where you work, how much he loves the people you don't like very much, how much he loves our presidential candidates. Yes, he loves them as much as he loves you. How much he loves, I mean, you could go on. And Jesus said, stop on the word said. Jesus said, yes, Jesus, through the presence of the Holy Spirit and through his word, is actually speaking to me today, right now. Jesus longs to speak to me every day. What is he saying to me today? He says to me, follow me, follow. Let's just stop with follow. God, how are you wanting me to follow? You're not asking me just to follow anybody. You're not asking me to choose a leader. You're asking me to follow you. How are you wanting me to follow you at work today? What might that look like? How are you wanting to, me to follow you as I go shopping today? How are you wanting me to follow you as I go on the internet today? Powerful, isn't it? Just one verse, and we haven't even got halfway through it. But just stopping and marinating, engaging, being with God in the passage. The fourth is paraphrase the verse in your own words taking a verse and just put it in your own words. And, and it's a good exercise because you go back and make sure you're not missing things, but put it in your own words. The fifth, which is a, a great, great oldie, memorize a passage. Remember those memory verses? There was a reason. It was more than just to get stars, right? We were discipling, teaching, getting the word in our minds and in our hearts, memorizing a passage. There's so much power in memorizing a passage of Scripture. Because the Holy Spirit has a way to use that and bring to your remembrance things while you're out and about your day where he wants to bring that application to your mind and to your, to your life and to open up things for you to participate with God in this life. The second aspect of biblical meditation is inclining the heart. The heart matters. And sometimes when we get into engaging our mind with Scripture, sometimes feelings, in fact, a lot of times feelings are going to surface and those are not bad because they're there. I had a mentor, I remember years and years ago, who said, you know, we say if Jesus Christ lives in your heart, well, if he's going to live in your heart, there's a lot of things he's going to want to talk about. <laughs> a lot of things in your heart. He's not going to want to just come in and not say anything. There's a lot in your heart to, to process. And so inclining the heart, taking those words, and as those feelings come up, talking with God about those feelings, surrendering those feelings to God, not stuffing them, but being honest about what you're feeling, excitement, joy, fear, anxiety, stress, whatever it might be. 
I love the words, I uh, found these from Ellen White. She just says it so well. We must be constantly meditating upon the word, eating it, digesting it, and by practice assimilating it so that it is taken into the life current. Isn't that rich? I love it too because it's found in councils on diet and foods. <laughs> Isn't that great? We must be constantly meditating upon the word, eating it, digesting it, and by practice assimilating it so that it is taken into the life current. See, she knew that's where it happens, meditating on the word, and we digest it. We get it in the heart level in all of us, and it works itself into our current of life in our relationships. The third aspect of biblical meditation is enjoying or what Keller calls crying out. And this piggybacks on what I've just said about the feelings and the things that come up. There'll be times in which we enjoy God's presence, and there'll be some times where we don't feel God's presence, but we keep taking it steady each day. He uses Psalm 63 as an example. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. Yes, David was real and you get a sense when you read the Psalms, he didn't just engage the mind but he also inclined the heart and he enjoyed God and he also cried out when he didn't sense God. But that's how good trees grow. They grow steady. And it takes a long time. And there are seasons of dryness when the roots go deeper. I was talking with one of our members who were just transferring in from Washington. And a couple weeks ago, she was saying, pray for Washington because they're having all these rains and all the trees are falling over because their roots don't go deep because there's so much rain available. The dry times are important for the roots of our life to go deep, to go deeper into the Word and to go deeper into the, the streams of God so we can have strong roots and become strong trees of character and the love of God. The key is being regular and steady. Keller also said, meditation means analyzing the truth with the mind, bringing it into the feelings, attitudes, and commitments of the heart, and then responding to the degree to which the Holy Spirit gives illumination and spiritual reality. And then he said this, and we'll put this on the screen. We could say that meditation before prayer consists of thinking, then inclining, and finally either enjoying the presence or admitting the absence and asking for his mercy and his help. Meditating on the Word of God is essential to the people of God. This book tells us who we are and who we belong to and the mission God is up to and what He calls us to do with Him. While meditating on the Word is essential, Keller also says, which I agree wholeheartedly, that we must also meditate on the incarnate Word, which is who? Jesus. Jesus, the Bible actually calls him in John 1, the Word made flesh. The Word of God made flesh. We are to meditate on Jesus. He says, meditate on Jesus, who is the ultimate meditation of God. Look at him loving you. Look at him dying for you. 
Look at him rejoicing in you. Look at him singing over you. Look at all that, and he will be a delight to you. And then the law will be a delight to you, and you will be like a tree planted by streams of water. You'll bear your fruit in season, and no matter what will happen, your leaf will not wither. And I couldn't resist to put this quote from Ellen White, which I know some of you are familiar with, but it says it so well. You've heard this, right? It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, our confidence in him will be more constant, our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. If we would be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. You know, there's so much negative talk out there about meditation and contemplation that it's unfortunate. But I'm talking specifically about Christian biblical meditation. Church, I'm trying to make this clear because I know matter how I know no matter how clear I'll make it, people will still misunderstand me. <laughs> Again, I'm not talking about Eastern meditation and the emptying of the mind. I'm talking about Christian biblical meditation and filling the mind with God and God's word. Is that clear? (laughs) I have witnesses. (laughs) This, This is so essential to us as disciples of Jesus Christ. This is how we grow. This is how we learn. Ellen White herself says hundreds of times talking about meditation in the Word and on God. She uses the word contemplation or contemplating hundreds of times. In fact, some people I know who could be listening are concerned about the word imagination. And what does she say? And let the imagination grasp each scene. Folks, God has given us an amazing mind. And when it's rooted in Scripture, it's even more powerful. And what the Holy Spirit does as we give Him our attention is amazing. The point of prayer, let's remember, is to encounter God. This is why he's given us prayer. This is why he's given us meditation. This is why he's given us his word. It's all to encounter him. This is why he created us. This is why he sent his son. This is why Jesus came. This is what the cross is about. This is what the resurrection is about. It's what Pentecost is about. It's what the second coming is about, is to encounter God and to be with God. I want to remind us that as we talk about prayer and we talk about these practical implications, remember this is not a a way or a means to get God to like us more. It's not a thing about performance. This is just opening avenues to encounter God and give him space to be with him. Remember Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. When he says his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you, he's talking about the Father. The Father 
You see, Jesus came to reveal the Father to us, and Jesus wants us to have an encounter with the Father. Now, I feel like in, in the years I've been in ministry, I, I feel like the Father's gotten a bad rap. <laughs> because so often, sometimes people think, well, the Father, he's the one who's really stern and full of wrath. And if it weren't for Jesus, we'd really be in trouble. Can I remind you this morning, church, that Jesus came to show us what the Father's like? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Let me remind you of some more of his words. He says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. You remember these words? For God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And please remember verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, and here's my favorite word, but to save the world through him. The Father, the Father loves you more than you can understand. The Father wants to fill you with his very love and his presence, and he gave us Jesus so that we could know how much he loves us and to save us. The author of the Romans talks about this experience with our Father that Jesus came and the Holy Spirit has also come to help us grow. And in Romans 8, 15, it says, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, what does it say? Abba, Father. That's like when our, that's like when, uh, I, I don't know if they've made it through the service this long, but when little Owen starts calling out for daddy, he's going to say what? Dada, right? Dada. And that's what the Bible says the Spirit says in us. It's like we cry out with that intimate connection with our Father, Abba, Daddy, Papa. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I love how the message translation says this. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are, Father and children. Yes. You see, this biblical meditation and prayer and all of this is all so that we can encounter God more closely, more intentionally, more purposefully. And when this happens, we grow more and more in realizing that God alone is the treasure our heart truly seeks in this life. Intimacy with our heavenly Father through Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit through his word leads us to understand that God alone is the treasure our heart truly seeks after and not the temporary things of this world. Keller says, when we meditate and pray the gospel and its attendant truths into our hearts with the power of the Spirit, those longings are slowly satisfied. And other things in life become gifts rather than God's. And we slowly but surely and radically change in our character and in all our relationships. And let me just close with this last verse. Because I think James 1, 16 through 18 says it perfectly. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth 
that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And thank you for your word. Thank you for Genesis through Revelation. And thank you for your word made flesh. Jesus, we confess that apart from you and apart from this word you've given to us, there is no hope. There is no possibility of becoming a strong tree rooted by the streams, bearing its fruit in season where its leaf never withers. So we need your grace, Lord, because there are many things that are drawing us away. There are many things we sometimes feel are more important. There are things that come into our life that just fill every nook and cranny with busyness. But Lord, we confess and know that you and you alone and your word is where the abundant life is. And so, Lord, thank you for the grace that you will give us to choose you, to choose you, to make you our first audience every day, to marinate in your word and take your word to heart and our mind. Because, Lord, you have shown us how much you love us. And we recognize that any other thing we search for in this life is really only searching for knowing your love for us. So thank you for coming to us, for chasing after us, so we could know your love and your will. Would you take a moment in silent prayer now to talk to your Heavenly Father, to talk to Jesus, to talk to the Holy Spirit about what they're placing on your heart and your mind at this time.